Hello and welcome back to Braindump. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys are well and lockdown isn't treating you too harshly. So recently I've been really interested in the tech sphere uh, and sort of technology at large. So I thought who better than to get my good friend Dan Bate on the podcast to discuss coding and the future of tech. Let me know what you guys think. I thoroughly enjoyed the episode, um, but definitely comment, like, share uh, and get involved in the Braindump Facebook group. Uh, But without further ado, here's Dan. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the extreme. We're here. We're cooking. We made it. First of all, um, thank you, Dan, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It's, it's great to join you. I think I'm just mad that you've been doing this so long and it's, I finally get to be a, a guest on it. It's pretty cool, to be fair. I've never done anything like this before, so hopefully it comes across all right. Yeah, mate, it'll be brilliant. I'm I'm really surprised we haven't done this actually already. <laughs> Just to get to know you a bit more, what do you miss about being a kid? That's a really difficult question, to be fair. I, I think the probably thinking that just anything is possible and that there's nothing really that is limiting you at all to doing a thing that you want to achieve. I feel like everything gets real very quickly as you get older and there's loads of things that may be stopping you from, you know, limitations on what you can achieve as a kid it's like screw it if mm-hmm. i want to be that thing i can be that thing i can do that thing it's probably quite a pessimistic thing to think really dreams are gone yeah. <laughs> it's a reflection i enjoyed my childhood um okay and um if there were 26 hours in a day what would you do more of more programming <laughs> More programming. I, th- I, I, I genuinely believe, especially like this, this t- like position in my life, like there's just so much to learn and it's changing so much. And like, I really want to be at the forefront with it kind of thing. And as, as a junior, like you, with a junior developer, like you do really feel that you've got this kind of mountain to climb and that any, any kind of time that I can spend, like spend on it and, you know, trimming away at it and, learning new things it's, it's so rewarding mm. and i genuinely feel that any time i spend programming is just not wasted time like I, it's very rare that i'll spend time programming and think oh, i wish i'd have done something else or like that was mm. a, you know like, like you can spend hours trying to figure out saying completely pointless or like you might not get anywhere but you, it's very rare that i'll spend time on it and i won't take away something so it's mm. quite nice yeah, that's awesome, mate. That's a real passion there. Um, okay, and uh, if you could be any character in a book or a movie, who would you be? Do you know, I, 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 to be fair, I, I'm going to go with Michael Jordan in Space Jam because <laughs> I watched I watched The Last Dance recently, mm-hmm. um, and that's like I, I always had a, a bit of an appreciation for him. And you know, I used to play a lot of basketball, mm-hmm. um, but especially after watching that documentary it's kind of shown all these different aspects of his life and he was just so committed and he had an incredible mentality. And then Space Jam, arguably one of the things that got me into basketball and like as, a, as like a seven-year-old kid, like this combination of Looney Tunes and then this incredible basketball player, I think it's just the perfect film. I think like, he, he comes across really well in that film as well. Mm. Solid, yeah. I, I I rate that. It's you know I still haven't seen it, but I think I'll definitely give it a crack. Worth now. the watch. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's I mean it's Looney Tunes, so it's not exactly going to be like it's probably not going to impact your life very much watching it. But <laughs> <laughs> I 
it's light it's nice and especially like if you, I don't know, as a kid that loved basketball it's great mm-hmm. so just tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do okay so i'm a web developer i'm, I'm very early on in um into kind of my career i'm a, I'm a year in so i'd be classed as a junior developer um my background is based is mainly like computer science um and then in, in my first year, I kind of, all, all, I didn't do any web dev modules. In school, back in secondary school, I, I hadn't done any programming, any coding. I kind of, I always knew I enjoyed technology, probably quite a little bit mathsy, but I probably liked technology more. That's the kind of thing. So I thought, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take computer science. Didn't really do any web dev for a while. And then I had one module in the second year that kind of started introducing it. And I've always been quite entrepreneurial. And then web dev seemed to be a nice way of combining, like, being entrepreneurial. But this was a kind of a nice way of combining a couple of different aspects of my life. And especially, yeah, being quite entrepreneurial. So it's one of the things that, you, can, you know, to get, to get an idea up and running these days, you kind of want a website or something like that. So it was a really, a really valuable skill for me to start kind of learning back, back early days. And now, obviously, like, it's just gone from strength to strength. But I, current, I work for a company called Icecape, which is a travel company. Um, it's quite a small company. But to be honest, I, I'm quite, I think there's like obviously different benefits from joining a big company or a small company. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, I think it's really worked to my favor because I get to take so much more ownership over the things that I make. Mm-hmm. and the stuff that I get to work on because we're like we're like, we're like a four-person dev team like if I get a project it's my project um I know in like a lot of big companies they do a thing called paired programming so like where you will have someone sitting next to you going over your code every single thing you write every single thing you do will be critiqued at that time mm-hmm. whereas in a smaller company I get to take more ownership of my code I perform better with that because I can sit there process it process how I'm going to figure out a task without the scrutiny of someone there I mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day like someone is always going to review the stuff I write mm-hmm. and like the code is like I mean it'd be absolute hell if everything I wrote went straight into the live environment like the <laughs> company would probably blow up very quickly but it's it's nice at the moment um especially for a junior that I just get to literally spend so much time coding because we are a small team so much of our time has to be actually, you know, dedicated to writing code. Our, our senior developer will kind of talk through how he thinks it would be done. Realistically, we agree because he's got many more years of experience than us. Um, and then he'll just kind of set us off and I'll, I'll, I'll start cracking at it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You've already mentioned a few things that I have no idea about. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the basics. Uh, what is code? Like, what is programming like? You know, it gets thrown around about, but for someone who is, let's say, had no idea what coding is, just mm-hmm. give us an understanding. So, so code, I'll probably use coding and programming quite interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Programming is basically a way of providing a computer with a set of instructions in order to help you solve tasks. And these kind of instructions will be written in a language that the computer can understand. So when you're coding, like, how do you do that? You're, I mean, I've had very limited experience mm. in coding um so you're what te- typing in sort of lines of text and symbols yeah. and that into into a, a console and then that does yeah I, th- I think so. people's perception programming is that it's you know it's, it's very techy 
mm-hmm. you know we, we're writing into you know, it's just a black and white screen it's very like matrix kind of writing in binary but to be honest it's quite user-friendly it's, it's but you basically have a it's called an IDE so it'd be like word essentially but for programming and yeah you're writing programming languages or higher level programming languages are very similar to like the English la- English language or a French language, like it's it's a, it's a vocabulary and it's got like grammatical rules and things that you follow in order to tell it to do certain things. So to be honest, it's it's really not far from writing a word document. Okay. Like uh, there's a lot more setup involved. Writing code and deploying code are like two completely different things. It's very easy. Like with a word document, you write the word document. There's your word doc. Mm-hmm. Like there's, uh, there's there's more things involved with writing your code and then deploying it to a website. Okay. Um, but the actual process of writing code is very similar to mm-hmm. sitting down and writing an essay. Okay. And so you're writing this code, and what does that do? Like, you know, you've written like a, a line of script and how does the computer know what to do? Most people will write and what I write is high level programming languages. And these are designed to be human readable. So more closer to our own languages, whereas computers are like they, they know low level languages. So it's like, like binary mm-hmm. and machine code. That's what they're expecting. So we will write high-level languages like PHP or JavaScript or Python. We write in that, and then it goes through a translator, which will compile it into machine code that the that a computer can kind of understand and execute. So you write this code, translates that, and, and it does something with whatever you've written. Um, now, you've already mentioned coding languages. Mm-hmm. Um, are there lots of them? You mentioned JavaScript and Python and like yeah. how do they differ and, and what is why why do they differ? There's 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 loads. I definitely couldn't name all of them. But they have different purposes really, I think like because Python's used a lot these days um because it's it's pretty good for data science. I, I don't know if I think did you work with R? Yeah we worked with R. Yeah. Uh, really good at um for like algorithmic data or you know mathematical data so that's why a lot of people have been learning python whereas php people as a web developer i use a lot of php and javascript whereas you don't really see as many data scientists working that kind of thing they're just suited to different tasks really i think i might mention a bit later on there's a lot of um, elitism around languages like there will be people that believe that you know you should only you could you could learn one language and do everything in that and you know what's the point in learning anything else you know i'm going to use this one language whereas i i I believe you know although i probably could you know i'm a a web developer i fit into this box i think it's important to have a wider appreciation for all these other things that people are using and people developing because because realistically like things are changing so quickly with Mm. um programming and technology like the the stuff i work with at the moment there's a framework called react that facebook developed it, it was only, it's only seven years old and realistically it's only been in mass use for even less time than that so things are just changing so quickly so it's i think it's a bit silly to say you know i'm gonna i, I program in this language one of the things that's so good with programming you get really good at learning mm-hmm. you're just so used to having to learn new things it's, it's good to kind of have a wide appreciation who codes those <laughs> those those codes i guess who creates the languages yeah smart much smarter people than <laughs> me i think um gods of the, of the <laughs> programming community have given them to us i've definitely been get told names but the people that have so i suppose these are the people that know a lot better how 
machine language works and the best way to manipulate machine language in order to create a higher level language surely there's some there's some uh, ability lost there if you're you're coding from a very complex computer language mm. to as you said you've described as a as a higher language that it can't be as accurate as i guess there must be some lost ability there yeah you think so but i, th- I think that we're with like computers because they're you know they're, they're so accurate at what they're trying to achieve they know like if x is y they know it so with a higher level language like they know that's going to be translated into that so you'd think there isn't anything lost like feel free to go and learn binary you know <laughs> if you're fair enough if you're going to go and learn binary like fair play but and binary is just ones and zeros isn't yeah basically yeah that's that's what it all boils down to God, um, horrible. <laughs> exactly yeah and it would think oh maybe i'm losing out on some things because i don't know that really low level thing i'm not thinking like the computer's thinking when you put <laughs> it like that <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I bet that i i could probably do something a lot faster in a high level language obviously it depends what you're trying to achieve what can we actually do with code you write a script and it does things like what uh, what does it do and, and are there limitations to what we can do with code and um, my interpretation of code is everything is coded anything on a computer skype that we're recording on now someone's had to write code for the the interface and then the ability for the computer to remember you know the the recording and yeah code's essential like you the computers have got all these tools available for you but essentially it's useless until you can write the code to tell it what to do and it's once you tell it what to do that you get all these incredible use cases, like you mentioned, like Skype and going forward, like AI and sending people to the moon and all these mm-hmm. kinds of things that they all really relied on. We had all this incredible hardware, but it's useless until we kind of give it an instructions and also to give us an output. You're basically using code to direct and con- control the power of computers. Effectively. Yeah, definitely. And, and with web development, your tools, the browser kind okay. of thing so i'm manipulating like a chrome like your browser chrome i'm manipulating that to show the user what i want to show them kind of thing and the, like browsers like computers give you all kinds of tools what are the most common misconceptions about coding i think a lot of people that like picture it as kind of like dark rooms and uh really nerdy guys kinds of things but so far that has not been like my <laughs> it's probably because I'm the really nerdy guy. But <laughs> that has not been um, like my experience of it. Not all just writing in a console and like binary and things. Like it's it's although a lot of people do study that. Like I think it's the barriers to entry are really coming down with programming. Like there's there's way less importance of having a degree these days. There's so many more people uh, that are going to like coding boot camp. Like loads of self-taught programmers coming through at the moment as well. Mm-hmm. I think because there's there's such a massive demand for programmers these days that it's really opened it up employers have to be less picky about going oh we need you to have a, a cs a Komsky degree from you know this red brick university because it's, it's it's not always necessary you know it's just so broad you don't need you know you don't need to understand like all these data structures and algorithms to you know, create a website it's way more achievable than people think it sounds like it's getting a lot more accessible then because it's interesting because my the, my first experience of coding was um during my degree and i was coding like really complicated statistical analysis so i don't know i'd go into the into the field measure lots of data points on sort of 
organisms that I found, like, and I was generating uh, network interactions of like insects and what plants they were found on. Yeah. Now, I, I think the issue that I had was because I was coding for something that I wasn't that excited about, you know, generating <laughs> this this analysis. When if I'd have been coding for I don't know a website or something really awesome yeah um i think that would have changed do you think um you know potentially where and what people come in contact with with code sort of shapes their understanding of it definitely i mean if i was trying to get people into coding i probably wouldn't go and tell them to you know go, go check out statistical analysis <laughs> obviously it depends what you're into and i think the thing is though with something like that is it's incredibly rewarding. And I bet once you did probably achieve this program that you wanted to write that did all this data manipulation and analysis, I bet you were pretty pleased. But it's very creative, but another misconception because you think of maths and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, it's, and like it's a language, you learn this way of doing this thing, but it's just, that's just not true. Like there's so many ways of doing the same thing in programming. So there's a lot of room for you to be creative and try out different things. There's all these frameworks that do essentially the same thing. So there's a real, you know, you don't have to try one way to do something. So do you think we should all learn code? Like, um, and, and why should people get into coding if that's the case? Definitely. I, 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 it's the one thing that disappoints me a bit about um, my secondary school. But I did no programming prior to going to university to consider that you know you haven't done any coding and now your job is to code in the yeah, space yeah. of what like four years that's literally mental that's what i mean it's something you can pick up pretty quickly i think that's why a lot of people um do a career for a bit realize it's not for them think they want to try something else they try code like programming and you can you know you can you can't it isn't hard to get into there's there's so many resources online but i, I think it is something that kids should be doing one of the best things about being a developer is not that you learn to code it's your ability to solve problems you know you will always run into things you always have to plan how you're going to do something like you have to you know sculpt the code in a certain way to be scalable it's got to be readable so that you know if the next person comes along you know like with my job i might be writing code now and it might be you know garbage and i know what's going on because i wrestled with it for six hours to make mm -hmm. it do that one thing but someone might come along in a year's time if I'm like maybe I'm not there or something and they haven't got a clue and they've you know got to start from scratch. So there's lots of lots of different things that you learn on top of a very valuable skill. Things like websites, like they are quite fun to make. I, I think like I don't know what your experience of learning IT in school was, but it was more like you know Excel documents and, mm. and Word and copy and paste and files and you know that kind of thing. And I'm kind of like what's well, What's the point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the kids should be learning things like this that actually add a lot of value to them, especially if, well, it's, it's with the fastest growing industry at the moment. Is it? And Interesting. I, yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it's ridiculous if kids aren't learning it. How do you think coding is shaping our society? I think it's massively shaping our society, but I think people are probably less aware of it because it's just becoming the norm. Like our interaction with websites and social media and things like that and technology is very normal <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and just what we expect now day to day but you need to think 30 years ago the, the internet wasn't even a thing and now we're completely dependent on it which I just think is absolutely mad be pessimistic again but I think you know we, we probably weren't prepared and aren't prepared and you know society needs to adapt to the way that you know we know everything about each other now you know everything's mm. so readily available it's pretty mad what you're saying about um how it classes were sort of like navigating excel and word and things and 
the way I see it now is, is we've kind of grown up with the internet. And so that was kind of what was being taught when the computers were first around. So when you're, you know, young, you didn't have much scope to, to learn much more, but now mm-hmm. things are, you know, insane. Like, look at yourself, you're, you're coding and you're creating things that computers can do. You know, it blows my mind. Like I, that's a skill that I, you know, it's already inspiring me to sort of think about how maybe I can get coding into into my life. You mentioned people having sort of degrees in um, coding and things. Is there a big difference between programmers who have who degrees or, you know, you said you did computer science. It, it, would you say that's important or how does it help much? And, and if, if not, and how, how can you get into coding? It definitely helps. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I got a lot of value out of my degree, but people will always be biased. They'll always see the person with the degree probably over developers without a degree at the moment. But like a lot of these new startups and probably less old school companies are realizing that you don't need one of these old school CS degrees um, to be a developer. Like it's, it's really achievable. But yeah, there are so many things that you can do to get into coding. I'd really encourage people to do so. I mean, I, I still use Udemy a hell of a lot. There's so many free online resources. And what is Udemy? Udemy is a website. So Udemy is, it's like people create their own courses. It's something I'd really love to do when I feel like I'm, I know enough about a subject. Yeah, people basically create their own courses. They're very cheap. And I'll be usually about like 20, 30 hours of just someone talking through like an online module. Like like if you have a university and like someone would record mm-hmm. themselves doing some stuff. It's basically like that. Usually very cheap. If you're doing like there's so many resources on um, like YouTube and things. I think like people, especially with programming, like they love to know something. Mm-hmm. And then they also love to teach other people about it. I think it's one of my motivations for like doing this podcast. I just want to, you know, tell people to, you know, get into it, give it a go. It's really not that bad. Like it's not what mm-hmm. I think people perceive about it. A lot of our job is, you know, creating things. So it's like, well, why don't I also try and, you know, show some people the things I'm creating on top of that? How much creativity do you think coding involves when the impressions of the career is all about analysis and problem solving? I'd say I'd say quite a lot. It's easy to see being creative as being like quite artistic and you know more design orientated. But even with statistical analysis and like data science, you've still got to be creative with how to get the outcome you want. They will spend a lot of time planning the architecture, planning how they're going to go about doing that thing, and which means you've, you've got to be creative. Like you've got to be a lot of problem solving. It's not just like the whole X is Y kind of thing. Okay, so you're obviously coding in day in and day out. Do you have to rely on a lot of memory or are you sort of utilizing other resources to, to help you code? I'm getting better at like mem- remembering things, but mm-hmm. realistically, there's way too much that I need to know that it would ever be possible for me to remember it all off by heart. Mm-hmm. Like even the really simple things, I bet the most senior of developers will still, you know, Google it <laughs> to check to check what they're doing. Because like especially these days, I spend so much time uh, working out the nitty gritty stuff. And you know, you know, it's really cool. To, you know, everyone loves learning the new shiny things. Mm-hmm. So I spend loads of time like researching these new frameworks and these awesome new things that I can do that. You know, I'll, I'll forget you know, how to do this really simple conditional statement or something. And I'll have to go like, you just you don't trust yourself. OK, well, that sounds like it can be overwhelming and a bit, you know, stressful. 
do you, do you ever feel like you struggle to keep on top of it all or does it you know can it be can it be overwhelming it definitely can be overwhelming i think one of, one of the things um i found when i first started out like we do code reviews which is what i mentioned earlier where i will write some code and then the senior developer will give it a read and make sure he thinks it's all right uh before the code actually makes it live into production i found that a really quite a stressful experience to be honest because okay. my my experience of programming so far had just been me at university knocking out my codes you give it to a lecturer they give you some feedback and a grade like that's it it's it's, mm-hmm. it's more about you know the grade but then when it comes to a senior developer they want to help you more i think well yeah obviously lecturers want to help you but you know you're, you're getting a grade mm-hmm, for sure. day. whereas whereas they you know a senior developer wants to kind of mold you and teach you from their experience and wants to make sure that the best quality code coming onto the onto the production environment so it's kind of like maybe it's a bit like imposter syndrome a bit because you're kind of like how mm-hmm. can i write some code that is worthy mm-hmm. <laughs> of like making it onto our code base and I, I, to be honest now i'm absolutely fine with it because now i just realize like it's a completely normal part of uh, the development process like i write code i, I plan it I design it and I write a piece of code that will ultimately get checked by the senior developer. But originally, that was a stressful thing. Mm-hmm, I can imagine. You mentioned imposter syndrome. So do you ever find that you're you're really doubting the, your ability because, you know, you're being overlooked and the code might be wrong and things like that? Yeah, especially the, the development world is so different to being at university. And especially when you when I like went from being like pretty, pretty good in my year and then I'm like the bottom of the barrel junior developer. And I've got these like a couple of midweights with me and then our senior dev and they're talking about all these awesome things they're doing. Like one of my first experiences was like, oh, we went into the kitchen for a coffee and they're like talking about all these cool stuff they're working on. And I'm like, oh, Dan, what, what are you working on? I'm kind of like, oh, no, not that <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I think what you quickly realize is that the things they're working on, they spent a lot of time. Mm-hmm. getting good at that thing and now they want to tell you about that thing and I could do that like I can go and look at researching that same topic and get as good I just haven't done it yet so it's an easy thing to be daunted by um, and probably something that wears off very quickly as you realize there's such a massive world of programming and development and there's so many different experts and different things the uh, imposter syndrome is definitely very real in mm-hmm. the tech community because especially in a smaller company because it's like immediately i'm being judged on the code i'm writing so do you feel like you've gone from like almost being feeling a bit intimidated by that but now some um, like a growth mindset yeah big believer in like when i'm confident in something i'm you know talking about and doing all those kind of worries immediately go away but i think with me it's it takes a long time for me to get to that point but i'm, I'm quite you know quite pleased to be honest because i'm still very early in my career as a developer like i'm only one year's commercial experience and i've got a degree but realistically like you're judged on your commercial experience as a developer and the fact that i feel confident like talking to you about this now quite pleased about like whereas you know i'm going to spend another five years before i feel actually a a good developer that all sounds been a journey through coding are careers in coding competitive and then like how would you compare let's say code you were talking about quality of code and Mm. naturally you know what you make with the code is obviously a clear indicator of performance but like Mm. how do you measure progress how do you determine a good coder from a bad coder if you're aiming to get a job for like google or facebook or you want to go to silicon valley or something like yes (laughs) 
it's definitely going to be competitive because you know, everyone wants to end up there. Everyone wants to work for a company like that. But I wouldn't let that put you off because things like the web and software is so crucial now to every business that more and more businesses are realizing that they can't just outsource getting some software because they need to constantly maintain it and they'll constantly want to change and adapt their business to this piece of software. And it will get very expensive very quickly for them if they keep going back to an agency. So I think more and more companies these days are bringing developers in-house. Like I, I work for a travel company and you, maybe I, I bet a lot of people would think that you know, why do they need developers in-house? Like surely you just get a, a website that can sell holidays. But like we have four developers in-house that constantly work on um, our systems. So yeah, yes, I'd say it's competitive um, with, for certain companies like anything. Mm-hmm. But I think the way the world's going, there are more and more jobs out there and I think a lot of people are realizing that they'd rather put money into their tech um, than maybe some of the things they have in the past. Like, because obviously marketing has changed massively. It's way more digital nowadays. Like, we work very closely with our marketing team to help deploy the things that they, you know, they have a lot of great ideas about uh, maybe things like tracking people's searching experiences, like throughout Google, and then so that we can give them the user certain things or change our content dependent on their searches so we've got to constantly work with our marketing team so yeah although it's competitive a lot of businesses are realizing they need these kinds of things nowadays at university although code quality was something that people really like to see because you've got such a disparity in skill levels purely the outcome what you'd created so what the code was doing would show a real difference in skill level. So I could, at times, admittedly, I'd probably write some absolute garbage code at university that got great marks because it did everything that they wanted to achieve. Like at university, you get like a specification. I get all the ticks, so I get all the marks. Mm -hmm. But in reality, I've probably written like this rubbish. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, like one thing that I learned a lot from our, our senior dev, he values slowing down and spending time to produce something that I'm happy with mm-hmm. way more than the output kind okay. of thing. Like, especially with like directors and, you know, your big, your bosses and things like that, you know, they're all very focused on the outcome, the thing they can see. But yeah, code, code quality is a really big thing. What determines that? Like how, is it just what, because you, there's a lot of wasted code in there that isn't efficiently used or... Yeah, you want it to be really like human readable, well commented. Basically, like comments are where you can add something to the code that is purely for the reader. The computer won't process it. Um, so, like, you've got it between these tags, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You can write like a oh, PyCon or whatever. You can write a little sentence, and mm-hmm. the computer just ignores it. So that yeah. what you should usually do is like you're writing writing a new method or something you'll write a comment above it to say what this method is trying to achieve, what's going into it, what's coming out of it kind of thing. That's like something that I've rarely did at university. If kind of, if you haven't well commented it, realistically it's going to get failed. It's going to come back to me. I've got to, you know, do it again. Kind of thing. I see. Yeah. Um, I, I, I found the value in, in commenting on my code so much, yeah. like then in really simple things to be like, this changed the graph graph, bar red and yeah. i would just write that down and then i'd know oh thank god that code means that because i was such an amateur that <laughs> like fuck it's green <laughs> yeah literally and there are so many times where i'll write something maybe in like it's probably like 3am or something i've just decided to code into the night 
wake up the next day and like what the hell is what was I even trying to achieve here systems design people are really hot on these days like the ability to design how you're going to do something and have like the infrastructure like the classes you're going to use like the services you're going to use in place before you've even really attempted to tackle like the business logic testing is becoming more and more important these days which is like where you will write if you write a service so say if i've written a a service it takes a number and it times it by two so that service all it's ever going to do gets a number throws out the double I will write a test for that service. You give it an integer, it is going to give you the double kind of thing. So especially when doing freelance and when you're creating software for other people, you don't want to just give them some code or a piece of software and just let it loose without any tests in place kind of thing. So at least if things start going wrong, you should know early on before a problem occurs. In, let's say, average day at work, you know, what would you be set to do? Because uh, you were saying that you're working quite closely with the marketing team uh, yeah. and, and things like that. I did uh, some work at my job um, where we were working with um, conversion rate optimization and sort of yeah. tracking why where people were clicking on a website to sort of understand at what point they were sort of not going through the, the sale or, you know, yeah. they were, you know, that kind of thing and changing the wording on a website to sort of make it more appealing or whatever. Is that is that the kind of sort of thing you're doing or are you doing? Yeah, other yes. Things? Conversion rate optimization is really interesting, actually. Like we, we did a lot of stuff because it kind of shows you what people are actually doing on your website and how much of it is just completely redundant. Like the amount of people that don't scroll on a homepage just blew my mind so many people was going right get me to that bit like god or they, they will go straight to our kind of uh, locations page yeah a lot, a lot of integrations actually a lot of like our marketing team have a dedicated service for the how they send their newsletters okay um because like, there's this company that does incredible things with newsletters and they'll look at where the users come from they'll do a lot of um like segmentation based off what people are clicking on so therefore our mailing list needs to be in their system and needs to be kept regularly updated so i had to create something that would firstly sync well send all our contacts over and then sync it so that we you know if someone's opted out of marketing emails in our system the same thing is done on their system and then also putting in place a scalable system because i think with a lot of integrations you don't want to just create something and then you know that's that it's great what if we want another company that doesn't do exactly the same thing it'd be really good to have a system in place where i can build the specific uh wiring between our two systems but the system's still in place that you know loads all the users pushes the users and does all the synchronization the only difference is that last bit of the journey for the website the, the, the system that they're going to so even these small integrations you need to do a lot like you kind of want to think that everything's going to be scaled up at some point because otherwise you would have to rebuild it again where you could just add, add an element so it just shows that there's so much in the background that let's say someone like myself who's just going on the website wouldn't even understand there are loads of thought processes, like you were saying, lots of problem solvings to 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 fix issues that are going on in the background. Yeah. You also mentioned sort of elitism within coding uh, and, and sort of gatekeeping. Could you mm. just sort of expand on that a bit more? The programming world is changing massively very quickly. And I think maybe some more senior developers are probably worried by that. And I think the, the good thing about being a senior developer is you, know, you get to call the shots. Ultimately, 
you're going to write something in a language or a framework that that developer probably feels comfortable with. And I think a lot of junior developers get, you know, like to use all the new shiny things. And I think realistically, you know, your experience is always going to be limited by what the senior developer wants to do. And they know as long as the entire system is written in something that they feel comfortable with, they're always going to be the, like the big dog. But you're never going to get rid of a senior developer that's been there for ages, written so much about a system. So like even if there is probably this maybe a newer technology that is better suited for a task or I think is really exciting or something, it's like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do the same thing that we always did, kind of, which is fine. It's just fine. And I think it, maybe that's probably something that I maybe look to do too quickly because I want to, you know, work mm. with some shiny new technology. But there definitely is a lot of elitism, like programming languages. People don't like PHP. I like PHP. It's, it sounds even weird saying this. Like you can get stick within the development community. Just not PHP. So people don't like JavaScript. People think it's like quite yeah, Same, uh, yeah, yeah. And like tools, people are really critical of like different tools you use and things like that. Okay. It's like you know, the old like the old argument of like people have never really liked MacBooks, like the really old school mm-hmm. like. Programmers, they don't like MacBooks. They always use like Linux and, you know, they'll never, I use VS Code. Like you like, oh yeah, code into the console. There will be a lot of developers that will never use an IDE and only use a console just for the point of it, just because they're so stubborn. They're like, yeah. well, I'm, I'm not going to use this thing that is just there to help me. Like mm-hmm. I will just use the console and anyone else that doesn't, isn't as good as me kind of thing. It's almost a bit of uh, like snobbery. Definitely. Definitely, yeah. That's it's so quite, interesting. It's like it's a cultural funny. thing, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I li- yeah, I went to a, a networking event and a guy literally gave a talk on Elise and in tech. And it was so funny the amount of people that would like put their hand up because they judged someone for using this piece of software. Or like, it's, it's ridiculous when you think about it. But that's mm-hmm. why I think like the programming world is opening up. It's more accessible now. I think like there probably is less judgment about that thing nowadays just because there's so much available now. Yeah, and I imagine that feeds into sort of people feeling judged or yeah. intimidated by, and, and as you're saying, by the whole imposter syndrome. But it's great that the culture is shifting, so then it is more of a growth mindset, not just for individuals, but as a as a, a whole field. Can you explain what automation is? One of the big things with programming is that doing things over and over again, like that was one of the main objectives for creating programming programs early on, was to kind of repeat things and like, mm-hmm. do the same thing over and over again it's one thing a computer is great at like if you tell it to do a certain thing at a certain time it will do that thing so what is it like being able to mass scale things like repeat things over <sighs> yeah so in programming you've got loops like loops are so core to most of the programs we write like it will do the same thing over and over again i use react a lot which is a javascript framework you've got life cycle methods and these are things that will happen constantly over and over and again if a certain things happen if things change in the browser like it will re-render it will loop over and over again to constantly deliver a different thing to the user but maybe Mm -hmm. one variable has changed so now it's going to loop again but with this one variable changed one of the component now looks different or something. People don't write massive programs for small tasks. You're going to try and write something that can adapt to different variables or changes in the environment that you're working in. So realistically, it's to do the exact same thing, but with a different input. How is automation different to AI? Like AI is, is basically input-output. You've got a massive data set that you're training on and you're just going to give it these different inputs 
and it's got an output that it wants to achieve. And every time it makes an attempt or it tries something, you'll give it a score on how good that thing it just did, how close that thing it just did is, uh, how close it is to the actual outcome you wanted to achieve. It's like training a dog. You tell it to sit, and if it does it right, you give it a biscuit. You're just going to give it this score, and mm-hmm. eventually it, it gets really good at doing that, that process. Whereas I suppose with AI, it's the process of, yes, it automating a process, but you also need to provide it with something so it knows how to adjust itself the next time round, the, the value of the thing it just did based off the score you're giving it. So it's like an element of learning. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but that's, that's what it's all about, really, machine learning. But I think there's, there's so much... I don't want to use hype. Like machine learning is incredible and is 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 changing the world. But it's got a lot of like there's so many limitations. Like with the whole data set thing, like it's only good as good as the data that you feed it. Mm-hmm. There's a term in programming called GIGO. It might be a very general term, like garbage in, garbage out. Like okay. if you if you give it rubbish data, it's never gonna get have a good outcome kind mm-hmm. of thing. And like algorithmic bias. This is one of the things that gets me with AI though, is because it's only as good as the data that you feed it, I think it's really it's going to be really great in like the western world because we've got so much readily available data but i think we're going to see it take off here and because you know you've got to sculpt it to the people and the cultures for a certain environment so it's, it's not like most software where you can just deploy it and then it's readily available in every country mm-hmm. like with ai like we need to adapt it to the country that it's going to be in like i always think that the automated car thing is pretty cool because like, everyone's really pleased because you can drive a, a Tesla in LA and it knows like the road markings and things like that. But if you went and picked it up and went and put it in like I don't know, Vietnam or something, kind of you got bikes and there's very few road markings and things mm-hmm. like that. Like it's just going to be completely overwhelmed and not have a clue what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Interesting what you're saying there, because with the episode with Ed Barkin, he was talking yes. about AI in medical, um, mm-hmm. in the medical field, and he was saying about data sort of that is applicable to let's say white men and you'll be able to diagnose people with the data that you give it to diagnose white men with things but black women might have completely different symptoms um, yeah. so predicting a disease might be may struggle there so there's obviously you know it's the same scenario with um with these self-driving cars there's different different input going in different data to help the car navigate in Vietnam versus, you know, America. And that's another thing, like, because there's a, a real lack of accountability within AI as well. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the video of where the Uber brought out their automated car. It's quite late at night. It was all going really well. And then this woman crosses the road and it just, just knocks her down completely. Okay. Why did it make that decision? And the, you know, the thing is, you, you don't know. Like, you'd have to look at all the data it was provided, maybe attempt to find a pattern but it's just ridiculous like it's so difficult i know that's that's one of the big things at the moment um i know ibm are doing a lot of work into it increasing the amount of accountability and why these algorithms are making the decisions that they do what would you say then with the the so for using the um the uber example mm. um would you then hold a coder accountable for the fact that a car hit a woman that's the big moral dilemma isn't it that i do mm. do we blame the engineers i'm probably obviously biased <laughs> because um you're the blame mate i'm blaming you yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. I don't, uh, that's a really difficult one i think because you, you could argue that would be negligence that you've not accounted for an area of yeah. code that would have taken in you know the into the the decision that that 
self-driving car made yeah um pretty scary is there any regulation in in sort of when it comes to coding programs and things first the laws are changing constantly i think when when you know the web first came out i think they did want it to be a completely unregulated place but now with the amount of data and things like that around now it's you, you need to have regulation and they like zuckerberg i don't mean i know i've changed my opinion on him recently but going back maybe a year or something he was he was basically saying like we need more regulation the governments and things like that, they don't understand it very well i don't know if you've ever seen the video i think it was facebook i think it was zuckerberg mm-hmm. um and i think he was in the house of senate and they were basically being like oh if i move to this spot of the room does facebook know i've moved and they just they just like were being yeah. they sounded like they didn't have a clue Mm-hmm. what they were talking about that, yeah. yeah and then it's kind of like you don't know how to regulate this yeah you yeah. don't know how you don't know at all what you're talking about i mean look what it is now it's huge and that mm-hmm. is you know, the product of very little regulation and the amount of data they have like we yes it definitely needs regulation i think that's what someone like myself who doesn't know much about coding is not fearful but a bit sort of concerned about the fact that there are very few people with a lot of power over where the direction of sort of future technology is going, like because of the ability to code and mm. therefore the understanding of this technology. We look at Cambridge Analytica and mm-hmm. that it was terrifying. Like, you know, they're having uh, huge amounts of uh, <laughs> manipulation from the big data that they're getting. Is there a way of weaponizing this technology? Can you could you code things that could be detrimental to societies and things? I mean, I, I'd class what happened with Cambridge Analytica as already weaponizing mm-hmm. because it was just blatant manipulation. Like you, you had a group of people that you know could be so easily manipulated if you provided them with something. And that is definitely like propaganda. It's, it's, it is definitely a weapon. And then you're making everyone think a certain way and it was so easy to do it and mm-hmm. it would be so easy to replicate. Yeah. I think for people who don't know about Cambridge Analytica, um, is effectively a company that was taking in lots of information from different populations and how people's sort of um, beliefs could be manipulated to affect how they voted. As a result, particular parties were favoured because of this propaganda that Cambridge Analytica had sort of gathered data on on this phenomenon and and were able to manipulate it. Is that a good understanding? I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think like people put a lot of, well, I wouldn't say maybe trust. I don't know how many people trust Facebook. But I, I think you, you never expect your data to be used like that, do you? I know there's a big thing with people selling data to third parties. But you never think it's going to come back to bite you like that, do you? You don't expect to be used a bit like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. I think it's um, the great hack, the documentary on Netflix, that yeah. explains that a lot, which is really good. So um, what do you think is like the future of coding? I think the web's only going to get bigger. We're seeing What we're seeing a lot of nowadays is like SaaS companies, so software as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's going to be much less dependence on having software on your computer. It's all going to be on the web, like cloud servers kind of things. Mm-hmm. More AI. <laughs> uh, I think... Like about regulation and things like that, I think things will change because it's difficult to think how we got to this position where there's something like near like three billion accounts on Facebook. It might be more, I can't remember. How one entity has so much information about people that isn't a government. I mean, that's pretty scary. Like I, yeah. I, really, I think um, 
I, I spoke about this last time on with the, the podcast with Ed when he was talking about you know AI manipulation and about how there was a lot of things on in YouTube being pumping out fake stories and and deliberately targeting people that they thought would believe this um, narrative. Um, now, if you look, if you scale the dust up to things like um, Black Lives Matter, mm. for example, and you're feeding people maybe like left left wing or, or right wing agendas and you know creating more animosity around you know um i don't know maybe you're hard on anti-immigration or and you think all lives matter or maybe you're in the sort of another the other camp um, not saying that those two are linked but um you know you're all about sort of you know, black lives matter and um uh, being aware of white privilege and things and mm you can create a lot of animosity by targeting two groups with the beliefs that they want to believe and and where maybe if we were able to disseminate information to people a lot quicker and and fairer with unbiased you know sort of streams of information we'd have a much better picture of what is actually going on yeah it's the ultimate targeted marketing scheme isn't it really going back you like when you start with marketing campaigns you think who are we trying to target here and now you've got a system that will do that for you <laughs> like here's the group of people you want to you know, give this campaign to um and it clearly works with a really high level of, like accuracy coding is at the heart of this am i am i correct yes yeah definitely definitely but yeah coding is i think going to continue to be woven into the fabric of everything we do like it already is now it's just going to keep getting bigger i think saying earlier the stuff i'm what i work on at the moment probably like five years old realistically in another five years i'm probably going to be doing something completely different god knows what it is like god knows what i'm working on but it's just going to keep changing i think that's why i find it a bit difficult to think about and i bet a lot of people have probably made some good predictions about where we're going to where we are going to be and everyone always talks that ai is going to be the thing tracking back a bit are there sort of gaps in the market for careers in, involved in coding definitely it's one of the things that really surprised me during covid was mm-hmm. you know i was still getting messages from recruiters being like look at this thing and like in, in the industries that have been less affected although they're probably marketing mm-hmm. less because people are buying less Companies want to be ready for where coming out on the other side. And one of those things will be like maybe rebranding or you've got a new product. So during this, a lot of the big software projects have soldiered on. A lot less money has gone out of marketing, maybe into tech. There are so many jobs. And I think especially it's, it's just going to get going again soon. I think that's one thing that I really liked was the security coming into the industry that I know that if you know, if you, if you dedicate some time, if you get good at something, if you market yourself, you put your code out online so people can see it. I don't want to say it's easy to get a job, but it's, it's like a path you can follow. There's like a roadmap of things that you can do to put yourself in a really good position to get a job. Whereas there are people that I think are in certain professions that are really deserved of a job and really deserve it of a great opportunity but there's so much competition and there's so many hurdles to jump and it's so much about like cultural fit and I agree with that. yeah but where coding and tech jobs you're judged massively on the code that you're writing and you know so i think that was a big thing for me as well when i'm confident in my skill set i think i come across a lot better mm-hmm. so because you know coming into programming that you're being judged mainly on your programming yeah obviously there's going to be you know the the classic interview cultural things Mm -hmm. but you can be pretty confident if you're a good developer and you're confident in that 
and you'll come across well that you'll you end up with a job kind of thing that's really reassuring do you think as a result of sort of a much bigger shift towards you know tech and and, and, and industries based uh, being online as you were saying earlier like services being online that other jobs will become obsolete and coding will be almost like a, a requirement i worry about myself coming obsolete to be honest no like, way, really. Well, I mean, yeah, you just don't know. Like, one of the big, I mean, you've definitely heard of things like Wix and uh, free, free tools for people to make websites. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, like, right now, they're not great. And a comp- like, even the company I work for could not have a Wix site or, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they need far too many custom things. And if you want to be at the forefront or, and you want to be able to adapt to business quickly and, you know, have integrations and all those specific use cases, like, these things don't work. But they're only going to get better. And like they're already pretty good for like if you're a personal portfolio or photographers or things like that, you know, you, you don't need a a web developer to make your mm. website like you might have about 10, 15 years ago. So what's to say these kinds of systems aren't going to get better and be able to cope with bigger companies and bigger projects? That's the thing. That's why I want to have a wider appreciation for all different kinds of tech, because I like to think that maybe in five, 10 years, I'll be less stressed about just being a web developer, I'll be happy like going into a different area. I think like data science is only going to get more and more important. I think more and more conventional like conventional business analysts, maybe there's going to be more uh, focus on things like data science, which we're probably seeing a lot of now already. What do you think the most interesting applications of coding software are at the moment? If I'm telling anyone ever about programming, like AI is probably always the thing you want to like. Because everyone just finds that just blows everyone's mind, doesn't it? Yeah. When in reality, it's just a load of data and it's just going, make <laughs> if else, if else, and then mm-hmm. deciding how it goes to. But I think with the web, there's just so many doors available for us. And it's also that, you know, web devs really changed. Um, like now through libraries and things like that, you have the ability to develop something for the web, but it's so easy to then port it into a mobile application or a desktop application. And I think we're going to see a lot of that, like with the barriers coming down around building things for certain devices. I think there's going to be so many things available that just port it to these devices. So there's less reliance on developers to build things that are cross-browser and device-based. So, and I mean, we spoke with Ed a lot about of um, sort of wearable devices and things. Oh, yeah. Do you think that will be something that we'll have more in our day-to-day lives? Because, I mean... I have a watch, I have a phone, and those are the pretty much the things that I keep on me the whole time. But do you yeah. think we're going to have more of those kind of things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the, the really big things at the moment is like citizen science, isn't it? People love tracking basically every aspect of their life now. I think I'm, I'm quite anti it because like when you look at something like Facebook and you see the amount of data they have on people and now how much power they have and what they're able to do with it. Mm-hmm. um if i could track if i could if i could not track certain aspects of my life i like I'm, it's nice to get away with it mm-hmm. um but i think wearable tech is amazing i think it's just clearly there have been so many issues with it early days that it was so easy to see how great that thing was and what it was able to do for us that maybe we didn't look at all the ethical issues associated with it it was i think it was the u.s army um okay. gave fitbits to a load of their soldiers you know to see how they're doing and track their health mm-hmm. and i think fitbit um i don't know if it was it was an anniversary or a special event for them or something they were like oh let's you know we're going to show everyone where they've been running and where they've been traveling so they power this massive map mm-hmm. and then you could literally map where like these u.s military bases were 
Oh, because I, like there was just basically no Fitbits in the Middle East, and there was just this one area of all these <laughs> <laughs> all these people. Um, and then you hear all the horror stories about uh, people having like nanny cams hacked and things like that. I just don't think we were ready, really. There's so many obvious benefits for mm. having this wearable tech, but there needs to be so much more importance placed on security of the data and where it's being held and that kind of thing. Like that, that is the kind of thing that I probably take for granted a little bit as a developer. I'm here to create something. I'm, I'm building something. And there's so many considerations that you should have around like systems design and code quality. And encryption's a big thing, but I haven't got a clue how it works. Yeah, I encrypt, you know, passwords and stuff. But I think maybe developers need to be taught more about security. Like security roles are really high paying specialist roles. And clearly that's the thing that we need to be teaching more people because mm-hmm. of the negative repercussions it's had, it, it has when things do go wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the most current examples of this is um, sort of the track and trace elements yeah. that the government was going to release for, for sort of managing the spread of COVID-19. Yeah. How would that work? And there was a lot of issues around exactly this, wasn't there? I mean, that, that, that's an interesting one because that's another classic politics attempt to meddle with like technology one of the things the government wanted is they wanted to centrally contain the data for track and trace and obviously with someone like apple and google like you can't you can't tell apple and google to that you want the data from their application to be stored centrally by the british government Mm -hmm. so were they trying to take information from people's i don't know phones and their locations and things to sort of see who's interacting with who and then they, you were saying that they then wanted to sort of hold that information is that correct yeah yeah which that's the thing like at, um at face value it sounds you know not that bad and at the end of the day there's so many companies that hold this data anyway mm-hmm. i'm just always a bit skeptical of government's reasons to want to have locations and names especially as, because it's a product of COVID. It's mm-hmm. like, what well, you know, something like this shouldn't then suddenly mean that you get to play the big brother card and want to store everyone's data. But yeah, that, that was one of the main, that is why the money was initially wasted because they were backing around for ages trying to create something that wasn't going to be compatible on Apple devices um, because you can't just go and tell them to change the way that they process the information from their devices. It is all very slimy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. The vibe exactly. that I got. Exactly. It, it, it literally kind of makes my hair stand on end when I think about things like that, like mm-hmm. especially with the Cambridge Analytica stuff and like with Facebook with all this data and then think, well, now we're literally just feeding it to them. Like mm-hmm. here, here it is. Here is you know, so much information. Presumably... Every time you go on a website and you sort of accept all the cookies, that's exactly what it's doing, isn't it? Cookies are usually pretty harmless, to be honest. Like, it, it, cookies are mostly for, so they can check, like, the experience you're having on their website kind of thing. So if they want to store certain things that may change what's happening on the website, depend like, to you. So, like, say if they want you to see a different image every time or something, they may say, like, oh, store this cookie that this person's seen this image. But to be fair, like, this is one of the things that I found really interesting is that, like what I was mentioning earlier, we're integrating with a company that will track your um, user data. So going from site to site so that when you get to us, we can then personalize the places we're going to show you because maybe you read an article about France mm. on a diff- completely different website. 
Mm. Um, so long story short, yes, that is definitely happening. Um, it, I couldn't tell you if it would be cookies or what, what's what's doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I just haven't looked that much into it, but it isn't that hard. There are plenty of companies offering that service. I remember reading somewhere that was saying that if you've ever sort of been thinking of uh, or talking about a particular product that you wanted to have, and then you realise you've seen an advert for it on your Facebook, that it's actually more likely to have generated an idea of what it thinks you want mm. and then proposed that sort of advert to you rather than listened into anything. Like that's yeah. how accurate that it's got. So, so many people uh, jump at, oh, the, my phone's listening to me kind mm. of thing. So many people think that, but, but you're absolutely right. Like realistically, it's just got very good at predicting when you're going to go and search for that information or, and I, I think, part of it there's probably a better term for it is that there are probably so many ads we see that we completely ignore so the site's probably taking a punt at <laughs> all right maybe you want to see this thing now and it mm-hmm. just so happens that you thought or spoke about that thing slightly before and it mm-hmm. got it right yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like that whole if you click on the ad it's probably going to remember that you know i got that right at that moment in time so it's only going to get better at it um what is the internet of things so the Internet of Things is kind of like wearable tech, what we were talking about earlier. Okay. Um, and like with, with 5G, it's only going to get better. Like there's only more and more things are becoming internet connected so that everything we do and everything, all these things we own have some kind of communication. They're going to be sending and storing some kind of data. 5G, like they talk about um, smart cities, how you can have cities that are literally completely connected everything will be communicating with each other. Like say, if there was a a natural disaster and you suddenly needed to route everyone around the city in a certain way, or you needed to control the flow of people in a certain way. Although like, yes, you can probably do that already with, you know, hard wiring and traffic lights and the systems in place. Mm -hmm. But IoT is just the idea that everything should be, will be synchronized and everything can Mm -hmm. communicate with each other in a certain way already. But for us, like it probably affects us more of your like wearable tech and Mm. nanny cans um, and things like that. The big thing with IoT is the security of the data. Like it's so easy nowadays to connect things to the internet. Mm -hmm. Like it's so easy just to have an IoT mug or whatever. But the point is that mug is now collecting data on you. Mm-hmm. That that mug is now you know tracking well tracking certain aspects and that's that's kind of the internet things like IoT. One thing I was reading about, which is really cool, um, was using DNA to code information. Huh. So with you know DNA, there's like four different nucleotides. Mm. So um, rather than you know like binary where you have zeros and ones, you have the four different um, nucleotides. Yeah. So you could use those to effectively code and create strands of DNA that would encode information. Yeah. And then you could store that DNA somewhere, um, which is pretty terrifying. <laughs> Biology it's just, it's and tech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- was it, I, th- I don't know if he's still going. I know there was a Russian billionaire. I think he called it Project 2054. And his plan that by 2054, he wanted everyone to essentially be holograms. And I think that, that it would be that, they wouldn't it? It would be a way of... Mm. Um, manipulating the data in your brain to be some kind of piece of software or some kind of data type that you can then upload to a hologram there's definitely a film on something like that isn't there 
Yeah, well, I remember watching Altered Carbon, and in, in that TV series, they talk about they basically have like oh yeah use technology to like to download your consciousness onto like a chip, and then you can put that consciousness into like clones of yourself, so you can effectively live forever. Do you think we could ever map? Like maybe it wouldn't be consciousness, like free thought, but it would be well, I'd, well, free thought is another whole debate. But um, mm. do you think you could, you know, code someone's personality close enough that you know you could put it into like AI or something? I I, I think so. I, I think like, it blows my mind every day the different things that someone was able to achieve because they you know hacked at something or you know they they produced this incredible piece of software. Mm. And like with with what AI is already doing, you know, it's it's just trying to get a close enough result to what you wanted to achieve. So what's to say we can't get a close enough personality or something that's near perfect? I don't know if it'd be possible to get a complete replication because there's the things about us as we know we're constantly learning new things. Whereas the argument may be that you can get a replication of a person as they are now, probably mm. pretty close, but probably not someone that can continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. as a piece of software i see yeah or evolve in the same way that would they would have if they yeah. were human mm. um like you're probably splitting off at that point into two separate personalities as you mm. evolve one as a human entity and, as, and then as a computer entity it's bloody bloody mental um <laughs> one of the things that captivates me was i was I can't remember what I was reading, but it was talking about how you can weaponize it. And so let's say um, you wanted to destroy a government website. You can code a program so that it effectively replicates like millions of people viewing the website at the same time that it, mm. it crashes the website. And I think it's called an ion cannon, <laughs> which, I, which I thought was last like one way of like, it's almost like using a, a bus service as an analogy. Yeah. If let's say you didn't want a particular person to get on the bus, you just get thousands of people to all go on that bus to prevent that one person getting on yeah. the bus. And they mental. call it um, a distributed, deni- distributed denial of service attack, a DDoS oh. attack. Oh my God. It's literally, they've taken down, I think it was Finland or someone like that. Like basically, like the entire country has been like taken down. Or like if you, if you if you can DDoS attack like a central banking service or it's like someone that's a service that is so critical to a country, like we're so dependent on them, aren't we? Mm. And like, do you remember when um, ransomware, that was the one. Okay. NH- loads of these NHS computers got targeted by this ransomware. And basically people would, t- you know, doctors would turn to work, try and use the computers. And essentially it's saying, you know, enter x number of bitcoins <laughs> to take control of this computer and you're like you're literally it's just mad like yeah. um i think it's israel israel spends a lot of money on these essentially like militarized hackers oh my god um it's the kind of thing i imagine like russia do a lot of i've seen like some documentaries on it but like i'd be i'd speculate how true some of these things are but it's very feasible like Mm-hmm. taking down a software service that is so critical to a society mm-hmm. does just cripple them doesn't it really yeah i know there's that um smile banking uh website like it they haven't been attacked but or they may have been attacked i'm not sure but people haven't been able to access the accounts for a few days now so mm. people are just leaving like mm. people are so like these are essential services that we rely on technology to provide mm. um it's like going back like hundreds of years where like romans would surround castles or something in order to flood out like people hiding in fortresses you're kind mm-hmm. of you're you're 
government kind of like a chokehold like mm -hmm. they can't share information they can't access these services that these societies rely on restricting and, trade and things yeah yeah that's mad like um it's pretty scary like maybe one day we'll have companies that will take down other companies by just being completely aggressive and if we don't have regulation then i guess there's nothing really stopping people doing it because yeah. they they have the know-how <laughs> yeah. and we don't <laughs> a lot of it's speculation i think like with with hacks and when companies get hacked and things like that you often don't know about it until a lot later on like you know like the easyjet one happened pretty recently and they were saying like they were hacked in december and like it's like we've gone oh, three months what happened uh, a lot of user data i think it, there wasn't too much credit card data that got taken but it was a lot of user data they got access to and also like you don't they don't know until i bet the data started getting used and people they probably worked backwards and realized it was because of a hack on easyjet kind of thing mm -hmm. so before we wrap up do you have any sort of recommended reading or you know what how can people get into coding like what's the most accessible route as it were if you're interested um there's a thing called code academy um which is purely in your browser like the code editors in your browser you don't need to download anything you don't need to compile anything you can literally just go on code academy um and start playing around with stuff I think that's probably one of the best ways to get into it. Or you just, you know, just start watching YouTube videos. I mean, I could give you, like, I could recommend reading, but a lot of the best readings are probably a bit further on. And with, with, with coding, there's only so long you want to spend doing tutorials. You learn so much more by diving in and trying to do something for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the things that really blew my mind quite a bit is, is like, because quite recently I've had some more time, more free time. Um, and I've started doing courses again. Mm. And the difference I've seen in myself and my ability as a developer is just massive because I've you know, spent a year just working on projects, not following the tutorial. Mm. You just, you know, you've you got to just jump in and have a go sometimes. Like, because mm -hmm. code, co code courses are great, but ultimately it's going to boil down to someone explaining a topic to you and probably you coding along and after a while you need to like get out your comfort zone a little bit and try and build things for yourself and it will be so much more rewarding and like because if you're coding along you're never going to like hit bugs and have little issues and every developer will tell you they spend a hell of a lot of time figuring out like just bug fixing mm -hmm. um and those are things that you just can't learn without just jumping into it yourself well, thanks, man. I really appreciate you, you know, coming on the show and, you know, sharing your thoughts on coding. I've certainly learned a lot about coding that I didn't know before. Uh, and um, I think I might, I might try and check it out. You know, it's, it's a little intimidating, but I think I might give it a no, go. You honestly, really should. I'd really recommend anyone to have a go because you'll learn an awful lot. It may be a, like it does seem intimidating at first, but it's saying that's so accessible and so rewarding. And, uh, you know, you never know. Yeah. Well, thanks, dude. Take care and uh, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, awesome. All the best. So that does it for this episode. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I really, really appreciate you supporting the little podcast that we have growing here. Uh, big, big thank you to Dan as well. He's an absolute legend uh, and a really, really good friend of mine. If you guys have any feedback, uh, I'd really appreciate you guys letting me know just because I'd love to improve this podcast where I can and hopefully we can grow and grow and grow as a community. 
But definitely get involved or in touch through the Facebook group, uh, the Facebook page, or even on Twitter. But giving any of your favorite episodes a like or share, that would go a long, long way. But in the meantime, take care, look after yourself, uh, and stay safe. All the best. Bye.